Well, 2016 is said to be a real doozy of a year. What with the World Indoor Championships this winter, the Olympics in the summer, and about 100 meaningful races between that will tell a thousand more stories that will shape this year in Canadian running. On this week's show, we talk with a runner who had an astronomical 2015 and who is sure to soar even higher in 2016, Fiona Benson. She joins us from Calgary to chat training, keeping track relevant, and the importance of great coaching. We'll also check in with our recurring run pundit, Jeff Costin, as he gazes into his crystal ball to see what winter holds in store and just what the results from this past fall mean. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Twenty fifteen was a pretty wicked year for track and field in Canada. Don't believe me? Just ask Fiona Benson. Fiona, a middle distance runner from BC, had been making her mark in the CIS for a few years up to that point, but it wasn't until she left school that she really started a meteoric rise to the top, improving her eight hundred PB by setting eight plus seconds, winning a bunch of high profile meets, and stamping her ticket to compete in Beijing at the World Championships along the way. What's next for Fiona in twenty sixteen? Well I guess we'll just have to see. Fiona Benson joins me right now via phone. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Thanks, Michael. 2015 was a fairly wild ride for you, going from being a 208 person to breaking two in the 800 and setting a world lead time in the mile along the way. What was really the turning point for you? Was there a workout where you said to yourself, you know what, I can do this? Uh, you know, the turning point is a great question because, you know, I've thought about that all summer and I still can't put my finger on it exactly. Um, I mean, moving out of university, it was kind of like closing a chapter and starting another, but timing kind of worked out perfectly. Um, as far as a workout, I remember doing 400s once, 10 or 12 of them or something. And, uh, when I finished, Mark looked at me and he said, do you, do you know what those times mean? And I'm like, no, he's like, okay, well, that was pretty good. And, I think afterwards he he said they figured it was like a 157-158 pace workout. Um, So when I heard that, I'm like, that that doesn't sound right. You know, like something's going on there. But um, I guess it was just when I started racing that that, um, I started thinking things might work out differently than Mm -hmm. I thought. You mentioned Mark, who is a, who's Mark Bamba, who's your coach. And, you know, I remember watching a video of you two uh, just after you went sub two in the 800 for the first time at the Portland Track Festival. You know, it honestly looked like such a like a special moment for, for the both of you. You know, is, is that sort of, you know, personal investment in his athletes? Is that what makes him such a great coach? Oh, that's totally Mark's trademark. I remember when I first signed at Trinity, he said, um, I'll be looking at your long-term development, you know. Like, expect good things in the next couple of years, but it'll be five years from now that I think you'll really see see your best, you know? And uh, that, that turned out to be true. <laughs> but um, I think something any of Mark's athletes would say is that he, he treats us all the same. For sure. Do you, do you remember that exact moment? You know, do you, do you remember kind of the emotions attached to that? I, I just remember coming across that finish line, seeing that I'd, I'd broken two, and I thought, like, where's Mark? I want a hug, you know? Like, you, you go through that much of a roller coaster, the, like a coach and an athlete, and it just made me so happy that he was there for it. You know, on that branch, he, he's also the coach uh, at your old university, Trinity Western, uh, as well, which is a school that's really surprised a lot of people over the past, you know, couple of years. 
right what is it that makes that program you know as a whole so successful um well i think when you look at how the at the size of trinity like it's such a tiny university and the fact that it floats a full-size track and field program a full athletic program actually and a lot of their sports are well known across like through the cis um i think they've they really try to pull all the strings to, um, like, to support their priorities, you know, and they made their athletics one of those priorities. And um, I know they they tried to make it work for any of the athletes they could. Um, I know when they started out, they got really lucky signing Laurier Premio. He's a great coach and a great recruiter, and he got a couple, like, cornerstone athletes in there right away, and the program just blossomed hmm. now you know to, to switch gears a little bit uh you you kind of mentioned earlier doing doing some 400s you know a lot of 400s during the peak part of your training you know what does a week look like as far as you know maybe mileage and, and workouts go okay um well it probably depends whether it's um like at the the peak like base training or you know when you're running your fastest I remember um, training camp Christmas last year. We wanted to run a hundred mile week. That was our goal. <laughs> like we just wanted to get that hundred mile, hundred mile mark. I think we only made ninety seven or something. But um, you know, like eighty mile week was probably for mileage and typical three workouts a week, like a long intervals, uh, a speed and a tempo, something like that. Um, and I don't have a lot of experience like tapering down for a racing season yet. Last last season we just had to kind of wing it but um the the mileage is a lot less then hmm. you know one of your big races this past season was uh was your 425 mile at the flow track throwdown uh you know it was, it's an event that really markets itself as being almost circus like you know the over the top for the fans sort of meet complete with uh i think there's you know fog machines loud music uh definitely a licensed area there i think uh, you know, in your p- opinion, was this the sort of meet that uh, track needs to stay relevant? And how did that sort of environment affect your race? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think the times will always be relevant to track people. Um, but the throwdown had such a great energy to it. Like, it was exciting to be there. And um, there was a great turnout. And everybody was, it, they were just so encouraging. All like, they probably had people in track already that they knew and followed a little bit, but there were so many people who wanted to shake your hand after and congratulate you and say, you know, that was such a fun time. And um, um, talking to some of the people on the circuit last year too, they say in Europe, they're starting to do some really cool things like uh, someone high jumped in a grocery store, I think in the produce Mm -hmm. section and and all the people stopped and just stopped to watch, you know, Mm -hmm. and there was a shot putter and they just set it up in the street and uh, I think that's especially relevant for field events because otherwise, like, they don't get nearly the attention as the people, like, mainstay on the track. Um, so when I heard about them, like, pole vaulting and shot putting in the street, I thought that was so cool how it's, like, bringing the sport out to, out to people, you know? Mm-hmm. And the throwdown was the first time that I really had any firsthand experience with that. And um, it, was, it was one of the coolest races of the year. You know, I I have to ask because, you know, there's all sorts of people who who were also at that event. You know, there's Nick Simmons, there's Galen Rupp. 
did did that you know kind of play upon your mind at all knowing that these you know these <laughs> huge stars were there the whole time too sure sure yeah i was warming up on the track with nick simmons i'm like okay this is kind of weird you know like first i think that was the first time i'd like you know warmed up with like beside any of those people that i that i like registered you know mm-hmm. so um that added to the atmosphere yeah Okay, so right now the the middle distances in Canada are incredibly deep, especially on the women's side, you know, with about really seven women, maybe eight really in the thick of things for the 1500 and about five under 202 in the uh, the 800 as well. You know, are you a runner who's kind of motivated knowing that there's always a bunch of runners on your tail or does that really not affect you? Um. I think I'm just excited by the fact that there's that many fast girls who are who are going to be there at all the races you go to, you know, because um, you, you know the the speeds will be up there then, and um, I think you just push and pull all like each other along. So I'm really excited for 2016 that way. Yeah, you know, I th- I think we're all pretty pretty excited to see how that 1500 meter is going to turn out, just because there's there's so <laughs> many you know characters kind of kind of battling it out. Uh, I I, yeah. I don't think anyone really knows how the how it's going to turn out. No, <laughs> no. So, so you know, I, I want to know since you are pretty good at uh, at doing both the 1500 slash mile and the 800. You, if you had to choose which one, which one would you say is, is kind of more your favorite? Uh, you know, I always saw myself as more a 1500 meter runner. The first time I did it, I'm like, this is my race. And the 800 meter just kind of took us by surprise. I, I started one just to, you know, get the legs moving and stuff. Um, and then it was so close to standard. I just kept chasing that eight to make sure if I had a chance say to go to worlds with it, I can get bumped out of that spot because, I chose one time to run a 15 instead, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the eight just kind of worked out last time. And I think it's great to change up the distances and keep the legs moving that little bit faster and stuff. Um, but I love the extra time for the strategy in the 15. Like, it's almost, like, I think it'll be my my biggest challenge race, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, when I'm ready for it, I'm really excited for that. So I've I've mentioned a whole bunch so far, but there there have been a ton of highlights for you over this past year. Uh, what stands out to be as maybe the most memorable now? I think it would still have to be that that first sub two minutes, because um, going into the summer, I didn't really see myself as as a track athlete so much, mm-hmm. like. I was I, I ran track, sure, but so many people run track, you know, at the university level, and I was just kind of an averagely good runner. Um, and once I, like, got down to 202, and I knew the Olympic standard was 201, it was, I didn't even think that much about the standard. I'm like, if I could break two minutes, my summer would be made. I would be so happy with the season. I don't even care. <laughs> um, and so when I... When the two minutes happen, I'm like, I, I can't ask for anything more. Like, mm-hmm. I'm happy. <laughs> now, 2016 is a year that we'll see, uh, you know, both world indoors, actually not too far from from where you were in BC, um, and also the Olympics as well. You know, what are your plans for the year as of right now as far as meets go? Um, well, the Olympics is definitely overshadowing everything else. Mm-hmm. Um 
and it was it's a little bit different because normally I would have had cross country already and I'd be in the middle of indoor track and instead it was a long break and then getting it back into just building a really good base for indoor track. Um, so I have a race here at the end of the month. Um, probably, I think, like I'm in the mile right now in Camel City and we'll see how that goes and what other indoor meets we decide to do after that. And then... Um, if I qualify for world championships, maybe, um, but, um, then just try and plan out a good, good outdoor season. We don't have anything really on the schedule yet. Now, finally, I know that, you know, a lot of athletes like to, to keep this thing sort of close to their chest, unless it's super confirmed, but, you know, flow track was, uh, referring to you a lot as the unsponsored Fiona Benson uh yeah what's what's 2016 looking like can you tell us anything about that oh. um well um my agent chris lane has been talking to people apparently he said i know november and december is supposed to be the big months for contract signing and stuff um so i think there might be something but i'm nothing confirmed yet mm-hmm <laughs> All right, well, Fiona Benson, uh, we we really look forward to uh, to seeing how how this year turns out for you. Uh, hopefully, there's a, you know there's an Olympic lead up in there, and uh, and maybe you'll get to perform in in Portland as well. Thanks a lot for being on the show today. Thanks very much, Michael. It's good talking to you. You're listening to The Terminal Mile. You can find us on Twitter at The Terminal Mile. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, as well as on Tracky.ca. Well, fall is for the roads and dirt. Winter is all about indoor track. And heading into an Olympic year, the following months are going to be very important ones, as the year can be made or even lost in these first few months. Joining me to discuss that is our recurring run pundit, Jeff Cawson. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Michael. First, let's take a look at the fall that was, specifically fall marathoning. We had Reed Coolsat running an amazing race in Berlin, uh, getting so close to that Drayton record. I, I almost hate to say that, but you know, does it solidify the thought that he is really just one really good race away from a sub 210 marathon? Yeah, I I think you could make that case. And I would also say you probably could have made that case before Berlin. It's, uh, I guess it's the double-edged sort of competing at that level that the margin of error is just so slim. So like, I think he said he missed uh, Jerome Drayton's record by less than half a second per kilometer, Mm. which is pretty... Like as far as uh, targeting your training and everything, he was right there, and he went out on pace, and I didn't have a bad finish. It's just you know the pack he went with, I think, legged a little in the middle, and when when you're that close, obviously those few seconds you lose make a big difference. So um, yeah, I think it may for him or for Eric or some other Canadian just be a matter of the stars aligning properly, pace not lagging in the middle with the pack they go with and hopefully somebody will break through sometime soon okay so you know as of right now we have two athletes who have dipped below that men's olympic marathon standard uh you know with room really for one more to go off to rio as well you know will there be a third athlete to get that standard and you know if there is who's on your list to do that yeah so you mentioned reed hit it and uh eric gillis his training partner as well i think uh I think there are a number of athletes that have potential to approach that type of time. It's uh, it's not easy. It's almost, I think, five minutes faster than the IAAF standard. But Dylan Wikes, who has run faster than that before, he's he's had injury problems. So 
we'll see if he's able to come back, but that would be a great scenario if he could get in. Rob Watson, who's kind of a veteran at the marathon, is running 2.13. And then there are a number of other dark horses out there. Uh, Kip Canogo has been a very consistent marathoner. Uh, Brandon Lord, who just ran, uh, he debuted his half marathon in a 64 flat, and obviously making the big jump to the full is a different beast, but definitely showing a lot of ability over the longer distance and with volume-based training. So I, I think there are a lot of people that probably have their mindset on chasing it. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to follow. Okay. So on the women's side of things, we have uh, Lanny Marchand who joined Chris's Shane at this year's uh, Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon. Uh, you know, they're both under that women's standard, but uh, what's interesting about Lanny is she also has the 10,000 meter standard if you were in her position, first of all, what a great position to be in. But, uh, you know, what would you do in that case? Uh, it'll be a tough decision, but I think I, I would not not run the 10,000, whether or not that means running the 10 and the marathon or just doing the 10. I think either way, like if she does both because the marathon's only two days after the 10, it's it's going to be very hard to have a good marathon. So I think if you're doing that, you're implicitly making the 10 year priority. And I, I think that might be the best idea for her. She um, showed a lot of improvement over the 10 last year, whereas not to say that she can't improve in the marathon, but she's been a little bit more consistent over the past few years. The 10, she may have a trajectory to make some further gains this year. And then it, you know, there have been a lot of good marathon runners who have run fast marathons into their thirties. So if uh, if she keeps training and wants to come back, I would think for 2020, I would think that would be an event where the marathon is more of an option than the 10. So I think it, it, it'll be a tough choice either way that I'm sure she has to make, but a good one. And it, yeah, if I were in those shoes, I would be lacing up for the 10,000. For sure, for sure. You know, at this point, uh, it's kind of like the men's field. So we have two two people who who are in that qualifying area for Rio uh, in the women's marathon. you got Lanny and you've got Krista. And then you've got a couple people a little bit back. You've got Leslie Sexton and you've got Rachel Hanna. And there might be someone else there as well, too. You know, is there anyone in that pack of women who you feel could really still grab a spot? I, I, th- I think they would tell you that it's definitely a tough standard to chase. Like they're both well under the IAAF standard and, but you know, Canada's set its standards the way it has. And I, I don't, I, if I were them, I would be targeting it. I think Leslie said in an interview that she's not going to specifically target it because she thinks it's a bit of a big jump, but yeah, those runners both, uh, they both ran two thirty threes in 2015 and, uh, Rachel was a medalist at Pan Am Games, both had great cross seasons afterwards. So they have every reason to think that it's going to be a good spring for them. And if chasing that standards, if training indicates that that's a possibility, they should absolutely be looking for it, I would think. Okay, so I know you were there. I was there. Cross Country Nationals was uh, was a lot of fun this year, you know, with great fields on both sides. Uh, you know, you had runners who were both really young and ending the nearing the end of their careers as well as you had some you know mid distancers to marathon runners you know what were the big takeaways from that meet you know who who ultimately wins is it the strength athletes 
or is it the speed athletes? Is it the young or is it the old when it comes to uh, cross country? I think that that's one of the fun things about cross country because it's the only really event, event group where those types of athletes regularly crash uh, clash because you know on on the tracks people are less willing to compromise. But um, I think on the men's side it looks like the mid D guys won at the front end at least. The women's it was a little more uh, dispersed back and forth with a. Uh, Rachel Hanna and Leslie Sexton really mixed it up. But like I think it's not surprising that the uh, winner was Natasha Wodak, who's pretty much a pure 10K runner. So that 8K distance on a fairly um, muddy course was probably a good fit for her. And definitely her more extensive racing experience would have paid off a little bit versus some of the more junior athletes that towed the line against her. Okay, so moving on to the uh, to the less popular of the of the track seasons, the indoor track season, uh, which is get, just getting underway now. Uh, World Indoors is taking place in Tracktown, USA, this year, uh, which is a pretty big deal due to the fact that you know Oregon is Oregon is pretty steeped in in running history. Given it's an Olympic year, though, do you think that some ta- some top athletes will pass over this meet uh, to maybe focus on the Olympics? I'm sure some will, but I think. I think it's it's a good chance for uh, mid D and sprinters to break up their build a little bit. I think like, um, yeah, yeah, the events are shorter; they're capped at three k, obviously. So you don't necessarily have the uh, they're not gonna wear you down the way racing five k's and ten k's would, and it's a good way to break up the winter. I think most track runners will do an indoor season and train indoors. And, you know, the shorter racing events don't necessarily wear you down more than workouts do. So if you can get good international experience competing at World Indoors and, you know, you still do it with a long-term goal to build with your first priority being the summer, I don't see why uh, why anyone wouldn't do that. So with that being said, who do you think some of the, uh, some of the big Canadians will be to watch? So... Uh, the uh, pentathlete Brienne Thaisen Eaton, she's uh, she's committed and she's uh, she's former NCAA champion and came second at the last uh, World Indoor Championships. So she'll she's um, already been doing promotional stuff for the race. Uh, she trades out of Oregon. Uh, Andre DeGrasse, who's um, who recently signed a professional contract, leaving uh, USC's former. NCAA champ and uh, medal at the world championships. He, um, I know he's indicated that he's interested in racing. So, I think we'll definitely have strong Canadian competition. And there are not there are a number of Canadians, fast Canadians training out of the Oregon area. So that's right in their backyard. And it also means hopefully that because the uh, Canadian championships at McGill are the qualifying meet, that we'll see really high quality races there when people come for our national championships so last year saw like a super exciting year in the cis racing season with uh stories of fierce competitiveness and uh u of t dominance really on the on the women's side of things you know what what are the main storylines to follow this year uh and who will be athletes to to watch i think i think like uh like last year, U of T will have a strong team. Uh, Windsor will have a strong team. Guelph will have a strong team. And it's, um, 
I, I, I think some of the individual battles will be good to see with a lot of the, uh, especially on the distance side, the top athletes we've been used to moving on. So um, on the men's side, I think we have, like in the distance, uh, both Alex Wilkie and Declan White won medals last year. And um, most the guys who placed ahead of them are no longer competing at the university level. So I think they'll both be, um, and they both kind of had off days at CIS, so they'll probably go in with chips on, chips on their shoulder a little bit and be very competitive. On the women's side, I think everyone expects uh, Gabriella Stafford to be very quick. And, uh, you know, but it'll, it'll be interesting over 1,500 because Inglis, uh, you know, ate her lunch at CIS cross-country and also has some pretty good... 1500 running ability so it'll it'll be competitive on both sides and there will be good individual races um moving back outside to the roads houston marathon's coming up super super quick uh you know there's there's a couple storylines to follow there we've got uh, dana podorsky and rachel hannah they'll be doing the the full marathon uh, you know how do you think that they'll do on the that famously fast houston course yeah like i i couldn't speak to their build specifically, but obviously they've both been, they both run well over the last year, especially Rachel and uh, fast course love strong competition. So I think a lot of people will be watching that race with an eye on the qualifier to see if anyone approaches it because it's, um, if there, if there's a good opportunity to do it, this is definitely it. Uh, you've also got two of uh, Pete, Pete Watson's guys. Uh, you've Rob, obviously, uh, Rob Watson and Brandon Lord will be doing the half. You know, how do you think that they'll fare? And do you think that this means that both of them could be looking to do uh, marathons before that Olympic qualifier cutoff? I um, yeah, I, I, I mentioned both those guys earlier, and I think they're. Uh, I think they both should definitely be targeting an Olympic qualifier in this. Uh, like I don't know what their training is like leading into the half, but I would think this is a pretty good indicator. Will be a pretty good indicator of where their fitness is at right now. So hopefully they get um good fast times and it's solid confidence booster for them. And then yeah, because they both um have every right to be chasing after that standard for the third spot on the Canadian team. And um yeah, obviously they have to do so before the cutoff. Jeff Cosson is our recurring run pundit here on the Terminal Mile. Thanks a lot for joining us this week, Jeff. Yeah, thanks again, Michael. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to Fiona and Jeff for being on this week's show and to Tracky for their ongoing support. Be sure to check out the brand new Tracky Reg. It's a fantastic resource for meet and race directors. If you want to get in contact with the show, be sure to find us on Twitter at the Terminal Mile, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Tracky.ca. You've been listening to the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Yeah.